thank you for joining me for another Sunday Afternoons with Reverend Lucretia. I'm so glad you're here. And so the name of today's talk is Today is Where the Joy Is. And the song is Today is the Day by Lincoln Brewster. If you'd like to listen to the song before you hear the talk, just go ahead and click on the link. It will be in the description down below. So we're going to be discussing why we need to focus on today and why we don't. It's a practice that we have to work on. It's something that is a technique that we need to learn and it takes, well, practice. So we will be talking a little bit about Palm Sunday, the lessons of the week we will be reviewing mostly next week on Easter, but it is Palm Sunday, which is the crucifixion. It's about the death of old ideas, preparing for Easter, the last step of the unfoldment, the preparation for the final step where the animal physical nature is crucified so that the Christ nature within us can triumph. So we tend to not live in the present due to anxiety and fear. It's easier to live in the past or to project out into the future. We will be talking a little bit about how to change that way of doing things. We'll be talking about Thich Nhat Hanh. We'll be talking about Mel Robbins. She's going to give us some concrete tools. We're going to be talking about an article called Only the Present is Real. And our hero, hero story is called Escape to the Present. So before we go any further, let me just go ahead and read the lyrics from the song so you can see why it so perfectly fits the talk that I'm getting ready to do. Today is the day by Lincoln Brewster. I'm casting my cares aside. I'm leaving my past behind. I'm setting my heart and mind on you, Jesus. I'm reaching my hand to yours, believing there's so much more, knowing that all you have in store for me is good. Today is the day you have made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. I won't worry about tomorrow. I'm trusting in what you say. Today is the day. I'm putting my fears aside. I'm leaving my doubts behind. I'm giving my hopes and dreams to you, Jesus. I'm reaching my hands to yours. Today is the day. So let's go ahead and talk a little bit about Palm Sunday because it is one of the hugest celebration times that we have in uh, Christianity. But I have to tell you, when I think about Holy Week, I think about death. And there are a lot of lessons to learn through this week. There is obviously Maundy Thursday where we hear about the Holy Spirit and we are being able to have a little bit of hope about the resurrection at that point in time. Uh, there is Good Friday, but quite honestly, as far as I'm concerned, there's nothing good about Good Friday. I can't watch any of the videos, any of the movies about Jesus's life because I just can't stand to watch any of the images about the crucifixion. It's just so horrible. But the reality is you can't get to Easter without going through Good Friday. So as you know, Jesus goes to Jerusalem. He rides in on a donkey. So Jerusalem is the holy city. It symbolizes within us the habituation of peace, the vision of peace, the possession of peace, and the abode of prosperity within us. In man, Jerusalem is the abiding consciousness of the spiritual peace, which is a result of continuous realization of spiritual power tempered with spiritual poise and confidence. Jerusalem symbolizes the great nerve center just in back of the heart. From this point, the spirit sends its radiance to all parts of the body. Jesus symbolizes our I am identity. Going to Jerusalem is the last step of unfoldment, preparatory to the final step where our little unhealthy fear-based personality is entirely crucified and the Christ self triumphs. 
the spiritual I am within us takes control and there's no more fear or anxiety. It lifts us out of our animal physical reality to the spiritual plane to mastery, purity, and peace. So Butterworth talks quite a bit about Jesus and the unfoldment that happens in us. And he says that Jesus's greatest desire is to help people know their own divinity. He was an example of what every person could do and be. And he said, remember all these things that I do, you too can do if you have faith. So if you understand this divine presence within yourself, it's our goal to discover the power within ourselves, that dynamic power of the Christ self. Then there is no need to escape from the present due to fear and anxiety. We understand the power within us and we feel relaxed, at peace, stable, confident, hopeful, very much able to live in the present moment, able to be comfortable trusting in our own power as manifestations of our God self. So the hero story is called Escape to the Present, and it's written by someone named Kristen Connor. Uh, so in 2013, her husband was out of town and she was newly pregnant. Her sister had come to stay with her uh, to help her get through the first couple of weeks, and they went to have an ultrasound to confirm the heartbeat. Um, there had been some trouble with past pregnancies, and so she was very worried, and that's why she had her sister with her. And it turned out there were very, very heart healthy heartbeats, not one, but two of them. So they were hugging and crying. She felt so alive. She had reached the pinnacle point in her life. She was pregnant. They had just bought a new home. Uh, he, she had a very loving husband. She had amazing friends, a loving family, and their businesses were thriving. She says she got to live in that bliss for three days. She was having a facial. She had turned her phone off. She was trying to take a little bit of time for herself and relax. And when she turned her phone on, there were over 15 messages from her husband. His voice was shaking and he said, baby, I've got pancreatic cancer and they think that it has spread already. He said, I asked two things. Don't let me lose my integrity and kiss me when I take my last breath. So they had been commuting back and forth between Miami and D.C. Um, they tried to find what the best course of treatment would be for him. And she said she felt like she was living a complete contradiction. She was watching her husband go sicker and sicker as she was watching her belly get bigger and bigger. She tried to be a comfort and a source of strength, but she said she was struggling with her own faith and her own fears and her own depression. So her husband had considered himself indestructible, and when he got this diagnosis, he became angry and combative and lost, and her best friend was not with her anymore. He became consumed by the illness. So her brother-in-law moved in um, to help them go through this time, and she said there actually were some good times. They laughed quite a bit. She said, we were such an odd trio. She says the people down the street thought that they were a gay couple and that she was just the surrogate that was brought in to have the baby. So there was laughter. There was a brief time of comfort. Um, she said that the gift that her brother-in-law gave was absolutely selfless. So the babies were born a month early. The first was Ida, the second was Cash. They were seven pounds each. She said she was blindsided by how motherhood hit me. The depression came and I tried to get ahead of it. She said eventually the innate animalistic thing took over and the children became my world. So one night she was giving Ida a bath and she said she was looking into these intense blue eyes. She felt like that was her little baby girl was staring into her soul. 
She said preparing for bed was always a juggling act because she had two twins, so she had to bathe one and swaddle and then bathe the other and swaddle. She said there was always a lot of screaming going on, and she said mostly the screaming was hers. Um, and so Ida was still staring at her, and she said she was just moved by the intense amount of love that she was feeling from this little baby. It was a love I couldn't comprehend, she said. She commented how strong her little baby girl was when she took the bottle out of her hands and she put her down to sleep. And it turned out that Ida passed away that night in her sleep. She buried her husband six months later to the exact day. So she said they had been living a stressful life. They had been traveling constantly back and forth. She owned one restaurant in Miami. He owned two in D.C. They had just bought the third restaurant uh, when they got this news. And so they were working really hard and she was under a lot of stress. They had spent a week apart each month and that had worked for them. But after Ida's death, she said it just wasn't working anymore. She totally fell apart. She went to therapy. She went to a shaman. She went to church. She had meetings with other bereaved mothers. She begged and pleaded for it not to be true. She said she cried so much her eyes were swollen shut. She was forced to find a new philosophy, she said, because she just couldn't exist anymore. And so she decided to escape. And the escape was so simple, she just slept constantly. So she said her mom fed her. Her mom would prop her up her bed and give her yogurt and water. Her sister bathed her. She said she didn't want to open her eyes to relive the terror that was her reality now. She said she could hear her friends and her family at dinner. And the peace of the world that she knew that she had to return to was a lifeline. And she said they were her escape. Again, she found another way of escaping through them. She said she never felt so loved. The friends came to stay. They cooked, they cleaned, they cared for her son. And she said she had to find a way to stop grieving so that she could see her husband get through the rest of his life. My son Cash was infectious, happy, slept well. He was sleep, sweet. He pulled me out of my grief. He was my future. He was my escape, and I escaped into him. He deserved to have his mother back, she said. She woke up one night and she heard Cash moving around in his room and she went into his room and he said, mommy, mommy, garbage truck, let's go find the truck. So I picked him up, she said, and we went out in our PJs, we went outside. He was screaming and laughing and I was screaming and laughing and we were jumping up and down and we were waving to the garbage truck and the truck pulled up in front of the house and they waved and they honked their horn. And she said, I realized I just felt something. I actually felt something besides oppressive pain. I was present and joyful and actually felt something for the first time. It took me completely by surprise. Maybe my escape had always been there and it was more simple than I thought. I realized I could now experience a moment in a way I never had before. I realized I had to be living in the moment. So nights before her husband's passing, friends were gathered together. They had a couple of bottles of wine and she went upstairs to see him and his eyes were open and she said, we're all here. And he closed his eyes and went back to sleep. So then they had to bring hospice in and her mom and her were living on a couch outside his room. And the nurse came in and woke, him up, woke them up and said that breathing was labored and spaced out and they knew that it was time. And so she went in and grabbed his hand. Her mom grabbed his other hand and he took a really deep breath. She said, I instinctively knew it was his last breath. I kissed him and told him that the breath was just going to go out of him. He took this really deep breath and it was his last. And she kissed him and his breath left his body. She said, go get our girl. 
I whispered in his ear. Now looking back, I did have moments of escape. I love sitting at dinner with the family, losing in myself in my son's joyful world of Batman and construction vehicles and bedtime stories. She says, I implore you to stop and think, to be in the moment, to allow yourself to escape to the present. So we're going to talk a little bit about why it's so hard to live in the present. And for that, we're going to look at the teachings of Thich Nhat Hanh. So he says, only the present moment is real and available to us. The peace we desire is not in some distant future, but it is something we can realize in the present moment. Go home to the present moment. So many conditions of happiness are available in the here and now. Awareness generates joy and happiness becomes very easy. Go back to the present and you might encounter a feeling of pain an appearance of a painful emotion that is in you. Painful feelings and emotions manifest from time to time, but we don't like to go there, so we run away. Pretending it is not there, we never have a chance to take care of the pain in ourselves and to transform it. Even if the present moment is unbearable, here is our chance to do something to calm it down and to do the transformation work. Most people don't want to do that. They are afraid that they come home to themselves and touch the pain inside. They will be overwhelmed by the suffering. That is why their practice is to run away, to imagine something about the future, to forget the present, or to go back to the past. He says the past and the future are images. They are not reality. Most people try to cover up their pain inside by the practice of consumption, so meaning TV, articles, magazines, food, doing things to avoid confronting the suffering. He says you need to allow the pain to go back to the present moment and understand it and calm it down so you can transfer it. Next time you find the present moment not pleasant, don't think running away is the best way. Stay in the moment. Look deeply into the nature of that suffering. And then he talks quite a bit about mindfulness. That gives you the strength to embrace the pain. It brings energy and compassion and understanding. It gives you the power to heal yourself. And he says, if you're doing these practices with other people, the energy from all of them together will come together to heal you. So he says, the wonders of life are everywhere around you and within you. When you are possessed by worries and anxieties, we lose the ability to experience the wonders of life and we lose the flowers, the blue skies, the clouds, the clear rivers, and the little child. Go back home to the present to be in touch with the wonder again, he says. So remember that the goal of Easter is getting past the negative beliefs, the fears, and the anxieties as we embrace the two Christ selves who we are. So let's go to scripture a little bit. There's a whole lot about being in the present. Obviously, I'm going to start with the one you all know I am, Psalm 118.24. For this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. And that was in the song. Isaiah 43.18. Remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. I just love that. James 4.14, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Proverbs 27.1, do not boast about tomorrow for you do not know what tomorrow may bring. All of these remind us that we need to be living in the present. 
Matthew 6, 11, give us this day our daily bread. So that same sentiment shows up in Luke 11, 3. Matthew's was on the Sermon on the Mount. Luke was in the Lord's Prayer. It talks about the daily bread. Just live right now, right here for today. Matthew 6, 25, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? Can anyone by worrying add a single hour to your life? Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. So I want to share with you an article I read by Reverend Candace Chellow called Living in the Present, Only the Present Moment is Real. And she talks about Matthew 13, the parable of the sower, where the seeds are planted on the rocky ground and the thorns and the good soil and the rocky ground. There are no roots that can be put down and the thorns, she says, that means you're caught up in the cares of the world. And the good soil is where you hear the word and you understand it. Those who live in the future live on the rocky ground. They have no roots. They are always waiting for one day when they will be happy, have abundance, and have the perfect partner. The thorns represent being caught up in the past. The remember whens overwhelm the future and the present. The good soil is where the word is present. The truth is in the present moment. The word gives them life and it speaks to their innermost being, sprouting strong roots and bearing good fruit. So she talks about Matthew 24, 42, keep watch for you do not know on what day your Lord will come. That's always translated as an admonishment to be alert for Jesus's second coming. But she says instead, she believes a different thing. She believes Jesus is telling us to stay alert for the movement of the spirit in our lives. God comes to us when we least expect it, in the smile of the stranger, in the kind words of our partners and friends, in the song on a radio. If we are not awake, we will miss God's presence in our lives right in the here and now. So she references Eckhart Tolle's book, The Power of Now, and that's going to be a whole other talk, so I'm not going to go into that. But she references his um, discussion about the other parable, uh, Matthew 25 of the 10 versions. He discusses the parables where it says, Jesus speaks of the five careless women who do not have enough oil to keep the lamps burning, and so they miss the bridegroom and don't get to the wedding feast. And he reinterprets it to say, Jesus speaks of five unconscious women who do not have enough consciousness consciousness to stay present. And so they miss the now and they don't get to the enlightenment. And this is in contrast to the five women who do have enough oil. They do have enough consciousness. So again, that's usually interpreted as being about the second coming. What we miss is that Jesus is already present with us in all his glory. All we need to do is wake up and acknowledge our present moment. Our joy, peace, and happiness in God is not promised in some faraway event, but it is right here and now if we are willing to tone in to the present moment. So Mel Robbins, you hear me talk about her quite a bit. She's a motivational speaker and a coach and an author, and she gives us a little bit of insight on how to do this. So she describes not living in the present this way. If you're living in the past, you're going to be depressed because you are rehashing things that happened to you that are not going to happen to you again. If you're living in the future, you're going to be anxious because you're anticipating what's coming or you're wishing for things that aren't happening yet. Being in the present is where the gold is. You need to develop the skill of having your thoughts be in this moment, not in the past, not in the future, but right here. 
The way you teach yourself how to do this is the moment you catch yourself being distracted, the moment you catch yourself starting to worry, the moment you catch yourself drifting to the future or drifting to the past, that's a moment of tremendous power because you basically just woke up. You basically just noticed you are not here in this particular moment. So we use that wake up call and ground yourself in the moment. Find something in this moment right now to savor. So psychologists talk with people that have anxiety disorders quite a bit, and they use the word savor, meaning to really appreciate, to taste, smell, touch, feel. So if like you savor a cup of coffee, you savor some really good food. So you savor something. You get you all of your senses to use to be able to appreciate that moment. The small, simple acts of savoring are how you expand your happiness inside the present moment. So I found some letters that were written in 1740 by Jean-Pierre de Casso. He was a priest and he wrote about the sacrament of the present moment. We are invited to choose to live each day as a sacrament, as a gift, enabling us to hear, to see, to taste, and to touch grace, the goodness of God's presence in our world. We are in Holy Week. We are getting ready to celebrate rebirth, renewal, and transformation. We have been working for 40 days to get to a place where we feel God's presence inside us, outside us, and all around us. Living in the presence is where the power is. It is where we experience through all of our senses what it means to be alive. When we live in the past or worry about the future, we are losing our ability to feel, to feel happiness, well-being, love, and transcendence as we embrace our true nature, the Christ that lives in us. We know our thoughts create our reality and what we focus on is magnified. We can make a conscious decision to live in the here and now, not to run away to the past or to the future. We can only embrace the magnificence of our oneness with God when we are awake and alive to every single moment that has been gifted to us. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. And so it is. Remember at all times, the power is in you. It always has been, and it always will be. Thank you so much. If you'd like to find any other information about the work that I do, please visit my website, lostinsideministry.com. I'm wishing you many, many blessings. Take very good care.